0: At the beginning of Psalm 32, we read these words, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And it was David who wrote this psalm and probably reflecting on his own life and how far he had strayed from God at one point in his life. And he says, At the end of the psalm, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. So not only are we encouraged to be honest before the Lord, but we're encouraged to be obedient and to be uh, as forgiven people. And then we're to come into his presence with with all that we are, singing and shouting for joy, rejoicing in the Lord because God is worthy of our praise. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Gracious God, fill our hearts with such true appreciation today for your grace that is ours each and every day that we may have avoid all tendencies towards self-righteousness and join in the joy-filled life that you've called us to. Let, our pra- let praise today fill our lips and may it'd be an acceptable offering to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be talking about a subject that is referenced in a story that Jesus told uh, in Luke's Gospel called the Prodigal Son. Now, I'll explain the meaning of the word prodigal uh, a little bit later in this morning's message, but this is a story about a son who grew up in a good home. He was, came from a religious family, One day he decided to leave his family, leave his faith, leave all the security of home and strike out on his own. To spend his time, his money, and and his life, in the words of Jesus, out in the far country. And only uh, he finds out that life on the outside is not so easy. And he finds out that sin is fun for a season, but it leads to a lot of bad ends. And after a while he returns home and he's begging his father to take him back. Now, it's an important story with a lot of different storylines, but I want to use the story today uh, for talking about the prodigals in our own lives. Maybe today you're praying for someone you love, a son, a daughter, a brother or a sister, someone very dear to your heart who seems to have abandoned everything and everyone for life in the far country, as Jesus put it. And the question is, is not, do we still love them? The question is more, how do I pray for them uh, when they don't seem to listen to me anymore? After all, this is a series about praying, uh, praying for a change. How do we pray for God to change a person's heart? So we're going to try to give you some ideas about how to focus our prayers, how to trust God for that person that you care about and how to let God change some things in us so that we are in a better place to pray for others will you join me in prayer god receive the prayers of your children this day we come humbly before you recognizing that some of us have been prodigals we foolishly desired freedom from family and faith and all that we hold dear and we've demanded much and we've conceded little and we've wandered around in the far country and we found our way back to you and to those we love and those who have prayed for us, and to you who have welcomed us back into the fold of your love. So hear our prayers today for all those people who are still searching for meaning and purpose in their life. And hear our prayers today for those we love but can't seem to find a way to connect with, who have rejected family and faith and everything we hold dear. Help us to trust you. Help us to be faithful in prayer. And help us to leave those we love in your hands. For we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, I have a son or a daughter that I don't believe is following Christ. I pray for them, but sometimes I can't. I suppose I'm angry that they aren't responding to anything spiritual, but... Often I feel incapable of helping them. What can I pray for on a daily basis so that they will come to know Jesus? At times I feel such sorrow thinking about their eternal destiny. Parents like this speak for people everywhere who pray for their prodigal sons and daughters or brothers or sisters or parents, often for years without seemingly seeing any results. I don't doubt that praying parents must at some point feel like giving up. It must be hard not to get angry when we see our children repeatedly making bad choices or showing no interest in matters of faith. So what do we do? How do we keep believing that someday things are gonna change? When I use the word prodigal, I'm referring to anyone who has either drifted away or run away from or totally rejected their Christian heritage. It could refer to a college student who just simply stops going to church, or a friend who thinks they don't need religion, or someone who decides to become agnostic and believe nothing. It could refer to a son raised in the church who calmly tells his mother, I'm no longer a Christian. A prodigal could be a husband who one day walks out on his marriage and simply disappears. A prodigal could be a daughter who gets so busy in her career that she has no time for God. In all of these cases, the prodigal is a person who was raised in a Christian home or had a Christian background and for some reason no longer values that upbringing. In thinking about situations like this, we may wonder if the prodigal is still a believer or if they are are just a person who's far from God because they no longer walk the walk of a person of faith. The short answer is only God knows because only God knows our heart. We might have a pretty good guess, but it usually doesn't make sense to spend time wondering if they were ever really truly committed to Jesus Christ in the first place. These questions are important and go to the matters of the heart, and they are, the heart is known only to God because we see, we see only on the outside, don't we? It may seem easy to conclude that a person we thought we knew so well never really made a commitment to Christ in the first place, but our knowledge is limited. While the prodigal may appear to have totally rejected their background and their heritage and their faith, they may give all the appearances of being far from God, but only God knows for certain. I'm thinking about the people we love that seem to have slipped from the faith. It's it's so crucial that we start in the right place, Nowhere is this more important than when we pray for a person. Because we have so much invested, we may be tempted to give up because the pain of praying when nothing seems to happen is sometimes overwhelming. But what about the prodigals who have at one time been believers and then walked away from everything they knew to be the truth? What about the daughter who has been drifting away and is living a sinful lifestyle for the past two years? She's recently chosen to totally walk in the ways of the world. She's involved in an abusive relationship. She's turned her back on her parents and her brothers. And even though she's a gifted young lady and loves people and has served the Lord since she was very young, she has walked away from all of that. What about the Christian family, who has always been very close-knit? They've always had a strong relationship, emotionally and spiritually, until their son got involved with a controlling girlfriend. He's given up everything he loves. He's lost his identity. He continues to cut off all communication with his parents. It's breaking their hearts. And they try their hardest to trust the Lord and believe that God alone can rescue him from himself. See, a lot of us today may find ourselves looking for some words of wisdom and encouragement on how to be hope givers in the life of those people we love. How can we pray for the people that we love and care about who have become so indifferent and even opposed to the things of God? The stories I've heard over the years are not always just about our children, though. A prodigal may be a wife who ran off with someone at her office and now has rejected her family and her faith. It might refer to a brother who used to be a student youth leader and now refuses to go to church could refer to a Bible college graduate who now lives an openly destructive lifestyle. These are all people who have learned about Jesus at some point in their life, but now reject the very faith that they were once taught. Very often, prodigals start out as people who, have in, who, were, people who were deeply hurt by the circumstances of life, feel abandoned or cheated or mistreated by God. These things do in fact happen, and they happen more often than we'd like to admit. If we go behind the scenes of even the best Christian families we know, most of us would have a story about a prodigal son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a loved one. As far as I can tell, there's no way to guarantee that it won't happen to someone close to you. And for that matter, I know of no way to be certain that we ourselves may not become a prodigal someday. That's why we have warnings in the New Testament to pay attention to how we live and to take nothing for granted ephesians five fifteen says so be careful how you live don't live like fools but live like those who are wise first corinthians 9 27 i discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should otherwise i fear after preaching to others i myself might be disqualified you see prodigals happen in stating that i don't believe i'm being a pessimist i'm drawing simply a conclusion based on serious reading of the New Testament and a lifetime of dealing with hurting people. The story we call the parable of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel is universally regarded as one of the greatest short stories ever told because it speaks the truth about the human condition. Prodigals happen, and this is the problem we face. It's the problem we continually struggle with. So my message today is not about how to bring the prodigal back. They won't come back until they're ready. We can't argue them back. We can't shame them back. We can't get them back any other way than to pray for them. If we bring, force them back too early, they will still be in the far country, as Jesus said, on the inside. So this message comes down to simply this. How do we pray for the prodigal in our life? To answer that, we first need to be reminded that an outstanding miracle occurred at the very heart of our faith. We believe something absolutely incredible, and that is that a person who was dead came back to life three days after he died. We believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and if God would do that for his son, And if God has the power to raise the dead, who are we to question God's power to change a person's heart who has grown hard toward God? What were the chances that a person who had been tortured and hung on a cross and then buried in a grave would be raised to life? Three days later, the odds would seem against it. So the lesson is we can't start with what our eyes can see. We can't begin with what we can figure out. We can't trust our feelings in something like this because emotions play tricks on us. We must start with God who can raise the dead, not with the person who is spiritually dead. And if it, if it is God alone who raises the dead, then our focus needs to be on God. Here are three verses that I think will help us as we think about praying for the people we love. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above everything else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. It guides it wherever he pleases. Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks about the heart, he's not referring to this organ in our chest that pumps blood throughout our body. The term heart in scripture refers to what we might call the real you the place inside of you where all of the decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where we decide what values we're going to live by and what direction we're going to go and how we're going to live our lives each and every day. Every important decision that we make in life starts in the heart. And our heart has eyes that are either open or closed. When the eyes of the heart are closed in the light of, uh, to the light of God, we stumble around blindly through life. We make dumb decisions one after another. We fall into sinful behaviors. We break God's laws. We end up in the ditch. And we make the same mistakes over and over again. We enter one dead relationship after another. Why? Because the eyes of the heart are shut. And when they're shut, we lack moral vision. The light of God is shut out of our life. That means that we can see and be blind at the same time. That is, we can have 20-20 vision with our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart can be blind to the light of God. There are lots of people like that in the world, and they're among our friends and our family and people we work with, and physically they can see, but spiritually they are totally blind. It describes a lot of people people even raised in the church. They know God, but their eyes are so filled with the things of the world that they are blind to the truth of God. Let me illustrate. A young man who had been raised in a Christian home has been going to church for years. He was brought up in Sunday school and went to vacation Bible school, children's ministry, youth ministry, and now he goes off to college. He's finally on his own. He meets a young girl and they start dating and Soon they're sleeping together, and when his parents hear about it, they're furious. They're worried. They're upset. They wonder what to do. So they begin to argue. They plead. They threaten. They quote Scripture all to no avail. So what's the problem? Well, it's precisely this. The eyes of his heart are closed to the truth of God. And until his eyes are opened, all the yelling and the worrying in the world won't make a difference. If people sleep around, or they get drunk on the weekends, or cheat and cut corners on their schoolwork, or if they're rebellious and unmotivated, those things are only symptoms of a deeper, more fundamental issue. Maybe they've never made a serious personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe they've abandoned that commitment for the more immediate pleasure. Either way, they're sitting on the bench when they could be in the game. Now I tell you this with total confidence that once we get into the game, once Jesus Christ becomes the center of our life, no one will have to tell us not to cheat, not to sleep around, not to get drunk, not to do drugs or anything else. Those behaviors that indulge the flesh won't have power over us. Once the eyes of our heart are opened, the light of God's truth comes flooding in and we will never look at life the same again. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem with our heart. Sometimes we worry too much about the symptoms without dealing with the root issue. So we should be praying, open the eyes of their heart, Lord. Because when that happens, life radically changes. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's what prodigals need. With the eyes of the heart, when the eyes of the heart are opened, light from heaven comes flooding in and suddenly everything looks different. What seemed right for a season now seems wrong. The truth that they once mocked, they now gladly obey. The Jesus they've been ignoring, they now worship. The path they've been following into sin, they follow no more. All things become new. And what a thousand messages like this cannot do, the light of God can do for them. Once they enjoyed the far country, now they long to be in God's house. Once they lived for worldly pleasure, now they seek to please the Lord. Why? Because with God all things are possible. Once sin held them captive, now their heart is captive to Jesus alone. Now I realize that some of you may be wondering, is this really possible? Could a life so far gone into sin ever really be deeply changed? Can a person who has rejected God and seems to be so antagonistic toward God ever have hope of changing? And my answer is quite simple. We do not need to understand how it can happen. We only need to know that God, with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26 says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Opening blind eyes is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He alone can do it. He alone is the source of our hope. See, we all have the same problem. This is why we pray for our children and our grandchildren and for family members and our friends and our loved ones who today may be, you know, strayed from from the, the, the walk of faith. As our children grow older and older, we discover over and over again how little control we have over their lives. We can't demand obedience because we can't control their hearts anymore, but we can pray for them. And we can cry out to God and say, Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Help them to see the light of your truth. And if you have a prodigal in your life today, I invite you to pray that God will open the eyes of their heart so that they will see Jesus. And there is nothing better that you can do for them. It's a prayer that is so simple and yet so profound. Apart from God's grace, we all have the same problem. Our hearts are closed, we can't see the truth. Only God can open the eyes of the heart. And when God opens our eyes, we will see the truth and the light of heaven will come flooding in. So don't focus on the person and what they say, and their bad behaviors. Focus your prayers on God and God's power to change that person's heart. Ask God to do what only God can do. Open the eyes of their hearts so that that person you're praying for will come to know him. My favorite story, or one of my favorites about the power of prayer to reclaim a prodigal is a story that's over 1600 years old. It begins with a woman by the name of Monica, who was raised by Christian parents in North Africa. When she was old enough, her parents arranged a marriage to a pagan man. Evidently, the marriage was very difficult because of their divided spiritual loyalties. Monica and her husband had three children who survived. Two of them followed Christ, but one, a son, left the faith of his childhood, and by his own admission, he chose the path of worldly pleasure. For many years, he lived with a mistress. Together, they had a son out of wedlock. He broke his mother's heart by joining a religious cult. Monica prayed for her son for 17 years, that her son would one day return to Christ and to the church. Looking back, her son said that she watered the earth with her tears for him, praying for his spiritual life. She fasted. She prayed. She asked God to save her son. One day, she even went to see the bishop, and with tears asked why her son was still living in sin. And the bishop replied with words that have become famous across the centuries. He said, "It's not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. Your son will come back to Christ." And he was right. It took several more years of passionate praying, but evidently mon- uh, eventually Monica's son came back to the faith of his childhood. His name was Augustine. We know him better by the name St. Augustine. He is universally regarded as one of the greatest Christian thinkers in history. Sixteen centuries later, his books and writings are still in print. He makes it clear in his confessions that his mother prayed him to Jesus. She would not give up, and eventually, God answered her prayers. Now, I think the bishop was right when he said it's not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. How precious are a parent's tears. There are mothers and there are fathers and there's grandfathers and grandmothers who have prayed their children and their grandchildren to Christ. There are those who have seen their children in the far country of sin and have prayed them back to God step by step. And when everyone else gave up, this one godly woman laid hold of heaven and claimed her offspring in Jesus' name. And God heard those prayers, and he answered them. So, why do we pray? Well, we pray because everything depends on God. Please do not misunderstand. I don't believe that our prayers contain merit in and of themselves, but God has ordained both the means and the ends of our salvation, and the two chief means of salvation are earnest prayer and the proclamation of God's Word. We pray because everything depends on God, and we preach because God's Word is the power of God for salvation. Our prayers are part of heaven's plan to reach the prodigals in our life and to bring them back to God. And if we are heavily burdened for a loved one, we must be sure that that burden does not simply come from us. The burden is a gift from God. It's a token of his mercy toward the prodigal who at this moment cares nothing for God. But our prayers are indispensable. They are indispensable as a link in this chain of God's purposes. Let me share with you just one more story real quickly about a mother whose prayers have not yet been answered. But nevertheless, it's a story of hope. It's a story of a changed life. And this this mother wrote her story in an email. Here's what she said. Our third son is a prodigal. Although I suppose we are all prodigals in some fashion, I've experienced a depth of a relationship with God that I didn't know before mothering a child who has strayed far from God. But God has continued to walk this road of parenting with us, revealing his character to us and growing us through our trials. I thank God for our son, actually. He has been and is the iron that sharpens me. I trust that God is working deep in his heart, even though on the outside, it doesn't often look that way. I believe that someday his eyes will be opened and God will remove the heart of stone and will give him a heart of flesh. And the renewing of his heart and his mind will be a great testimony to God and to who God is. See, here's a mother whose situation has not yet been resolved, but she keeps praying, and she has seen the hand of God working in her own life in the process. She's a mother who has grown spiritually as she prays for her son, who at this moment is still far from God. Instead of becoming bitter, she has changed on the inside and been brought closer to God. God often uses prodigals in our life to bring us closer to him. So as long as we try to control our loved ones, either through anger or through tears or arguing with them or complaining about them to others, as long as we're focused on them, things won't change. And we won't either. Sometimes in our despair, we become prodigals ourselves because our anger at them has ruined our own walk with God. But as we pray for the prodigals in our life, we must remember that the first change that needs to happen is a change that needs to happen in us. Until we are changed and that anger is turned to love, we will become bitter and hardened ourselves. And that can happen even though we go to church every Sunday and pray the prayers and sing the songs and serve the Lord and do all the things the church says that we ought to be doing. At that point, we ourselves have become prodigals just as surely as the loved one for whom we are praying. So we need to relinquish our loved ones into God's hands and say, Lord, they belong to you. Always have, always will. They never were ours to start with. You see, it's so hard to yield them to God, but it is made easier when we remember that God's love never fails. God's love never fails. He knows what, we're do- what he's doing, and he, he's a better parent than most of us are. We sometimes look at the prodigals around us and wonder where God is in all of our pain, but God is not unknowing or uncaring. He's not surprised. Though our prodigals may have left the faith, the faith and a relationship with God for the moment, God has not left them, not even for a second. They may be lost to us, but they are not lost to God. He knows exactly where they are and what they're doing at this very moment, and he loves them more than we do, and he leads them even though they don't know where they're being led. So let me ask you, Do you have a loved one today in your life that's far from God? Does it seem totally impossible that they'll ever change? Do you get angry sometimes just thinking about their foolish words and choices? Do do your prayers seem useless to you? Pay no attention to your feelings. There's more going on in the heart of your loved one today than you know. So don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep believing. You never know what God's going to do. When you pray for a loved one who seems hardened against God, pray that the eyes of their heart will be opened so that the light of God can come flooding in. And if that seems hopeless, at least it puts the hopeless case at God's doorstep, which is where it belongs. You know, on the Saturday night before that very first Easter, there was a hopeless case Buried in a garden tomb. But on Sunday morning, the whole world changed. You see, you never know what God's going to do, so keep on believing and keep on praying. God specializes in impossible situations, and he loves to prove that hopeless cases aren't hopeless after all. So never give up. Pray, 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 and keep on praying. Your prayers accomplish more than you will ever dream. Let's pray. God, we come to you today on behalf of all the prodigals in our life and we come confident of your faithfulness. Enable us to put our trust in you and to keep on praying no matter what the circumstances, confident that you hear and you understand and it's your desire to seek and to save those who are lost. Free us from trying to do it all by ourselves but deepen our faith and our trust in you this day. We pray in Jesus' name.